But I think the police do an incredible job. Police brutality in the U.S. goes viral after the horrific killing of another unarmed black man, George Floyd, is captured on video and seen right around the world. The killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others at the hands of police have sparked pleas for racial justice across the globe. Honor George and make the necessary changes that make law enforcement the solution and not the problem. And now, a clarion call sparked here in our own country needing to address our own racial issues. Black Canadians and racialized Canadians face discrimination as a lived reality every single day. And our new anchor, Maggie John, shares some of her personal journey as a Christian black journalist. What will it take for change to happen? Today on Context, the widespread and insidious forms of racism in Canada. Welcome to a brand new season of Context Beyond the Headlines. I'm Maggie John. Racism, it is a complex topic, I know. Well, that's why I thought I would bring you back here, where it all started for me, where I grew up as a young black girl in Canada. This apartment is my childhood home. The conversation about race was one my parents never shied away from. My father always told me because I'm black that I would always have to work harder and prove myself more than my classmates. Fast forward many years later, and the conversation on race has erupted on a global scale. And in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic, a spotlight has shone on a human rights pandemic as well. Over the course of this show, we'll be exploring racism in Canada from policing to media to growing up as a black person in this country. But first, I start with my conversation with Norm Taylor, an expert in policing and public safety. I ask him why there are so many more stories of police brutality in the news than ever before. Well, there are at least a couple of parts to that, Maggie. I think, you know, certainly awareness has been heightened, uh, as everyone can imagine, after the uh, tragic death of George Floyd. Um, I'm not sure at this point whether the statistics would support there being more incidents or merely a greater awareness and a louder voice. Um, certainly every one of these is an unspeakable tragedy. And uh, I think, you know, it's, it's important that they be front and center and that this conversation go on. Yeah, DeAndre Campbell, Jamal Francique, Regis Korshinsky, Paquette, Chantel Moore, Rodney Levi. These are all people who have died in police presence during wellness checks or mental health wellness checks. Is there a system or a flaw in the system, Norm? Well, yeah, let's get into that. Can I start, though? I think it's important to be clear about what's not happening. Um, generally speaking, police officers are not setting out to target or to harm people. Uh, not setting out to harm Indigenous or Black people or people of color or any others that are overrepresented in the statistics. The vast majority of police officers would dearly love to complete their careers without ever drawing a weapon, let alone taking a life. And thankfully, this is still an exceedingly rare event in Canada, notwithstanding the, the, the incidents you just described. And it represents a small fraction of the millions of encounters. But something's definitely wrong in the numbers. The overrepresentation um, is something that police must examine deeply in themselves. But it's important to note that it's, it's something that police cannot fix on their own. And I'd like to talk about that a bit. 
Yeah, I, when you say it's a small amount, as we look at statistics from StatsCan and the census, um, there's a disproportionate amount of arrests and charges, incarcerations. You were part of a study by the CT, by CTV that found that 100 people uh, were mostly uh, black or indigenous. Um, when you look at the population relation, um, so when you say that uh, black people or indigenous people are not being focused on, what's the problem? Is there a bias? Well, there's a systemic problem. Um, it, it, there's bias in everyone, and there's bias across the community. But let me cut it this way. Um, the, the folks that you're describing um, don't trust the police. And more than that, they don't trust the system. The system has failed them. And, you know, I looked into, into public trust a couple of years ago. I led a research team. We discovered that trust across the whole human services system has deteriorated a lot. But we also discovered trust is reciprocal. And the communities that we're talking about don't trust the police or other parts of the system, largely because every day they're confronted with messages and experiences that tell them that the system doesn't trust them. And this is a huge problem. Uh, the overrepresentation that we see in crime stats um, is a result of a long litany of failures in education, early childhood development, economic opportunity. Um, and this overrepresentation unfairly stigmatizes communities, and the result is perpetuated stereotyping and more fear. And so too often, this shapes the differences in how everyday encounters occur, but it really shapes the difference in how the worst of those encounters might play out. Explain that a little bit more. Uh, we have a story coming up of a young black man that was pulled, has been pulled over over 20 times, um, and he would say it's because of his race. So how much of it is experience and how much of it is messages that we're getting in the news? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's, you know, I don't think it's being overblown in the news. I think it's important that it be talked about. Uh, change is necessary. But let me explain something that, that happens in the way police encounter individuals. The first um, step on what's known as the use of force approach or use of force um, continuum is officer presence. So in other words, compliance is usually expected on that basis alone. So are you, saying, that, are you saying the community is not complying? I'm saying that um, the interpretation of the encounter gets off on the wrong foot right off the bat. Uh, the example I used in talking with uh, uh, your executive producer is um, the absurdity of, of a police officer, say, confronting or accosting my wife, you know, an older woman in the suburbs. Um, wouldn't happen. But even if it did, her lifelong conditioning would be likely to see it as innocent in its intentions and deserving of her compliance and cooperation. But when you're working with a community that already has trust problems and who have been abandoned or mistreated by the system, in many cases through their whole life, moms and dads who fear for the safety of their children from the actions of the police as much as they do from criminals, the even officer presence is going to come across as a loaded weapon right from the outset. So the reaction gets off on the wrong foot, and very often we see this escalation occur as a result of this fractured trust. And when you add mental health to the, to the situation, it, it's easy to see how de-escalation de can become very distorted very quickly. Mm, interesting. I think trust has to be earned on both sides, for sure. Thank you so much, Norm Taylor, president of the Global Network for Community Safety. Thank you for joining us today, Norm. Thank you, Maggie.
Since the beginning of the global pandemic, some have used the origination of the coronavirus in Wuhan, China to target some members of the Asian community. Right here in Canada, we've seen an increase in anti-Asian hate crimes. We sat down with some top Asian leaders from here in Canada and the U.S. to hear their experiences. I, I grew up in um, Cleveland, Ohio, and I grew up in a predominantly like 98% uh, Caucasian um, uh, area. And uh, I experienced racism almost on a daily basis, uh, just, just because of the way I looked. It left me feeling very um, uh, like inferior and uh, hopeless about society just because I would see parents even, you know, doing uh, racist type uh, things. Uh, and or if, they, if their children are doing it in front of them, they, they wouldn't uh, stop them. They would just kind of it was just pure ignorance. The reasons for racism, I feel, are number one, ignorance. There's just very a lack of uh, point of uh, commonality and so ignorance uh it just p leads people to do you know racist type things secondly i think uh um they they build on experiences or uh thoughts that they have maybe uh from others or from the media or whatever and then they just build on it and come to their own conclusions about people and uh that's why i think education is so important i like we all have kind of racial biases, I think, in some degree, to some degree. I don't know that it's all racism, but I mean, we have some biases. And the more we can educate people and encourage um, creating these uh, points of commonality, I think we start to see each other as humans more than as others, you know. So true. How about you, Bob? Have you experienced any sort of uh, racial biases, stereotypes living in Texas? I myself have really not um, experienced anything like that, and uh, including my family members. The, the bottom line is uh, we really, I think, um, need to have a, a real responsibility for each or every ethnicity to, to take this, um, maybe ultimately as uh, this Bible says, uh, you know, in our country, in our uh, respective country, uh, we are uh, responsible citizens and uh, not judged by the color or, or race. Uh, we're, you know, are Canadian citizens, uh, no more, you know, just uh, or no less uh, as uh, Chinese or uh, Canadians or American or, you know, or Chinese Americans. Uh, this, in this sense, uh, we are one, uh, I think, in this sense. Can I? Thank you so much, Bob, for saying that, um, because I think you're absolutely right. I think as a person of ethnicity as well, we all have biases. We have all done things and said things and made assumptions about different groups. And you just being honest about that, I think is just remarkable. So thank you, Bob, for just bringing that up. Well, as we've learned so far, there are a number of challenges Black, Indigenous, and people of color face every day. I got to sit down with someone very special to me, my little brother, Mark McCullough, and I got to hear some of the biases and challenges he faces as a Black man in Canada. I was on my way to visiting a friend, and um, a police cruiser, I saw him come up the side of the bus and pull the bus over. And this is they like got, a public transit bus you're yeah, talking public, about? Yeah, okay. public transit bus. And uh, they came into the back of the bus, the same as the bus driver opened up the back doors, came onto the back doors and said, uh, can you exit the vehicle? And I said, me? And they're like, yes, we're not gonna ask you again. 
So I got off the bus, bus drove off, and they said, um, "Where are you heading to? Uh, where, where, where does your friend stay? What's your friend's exact address? Where do you live? What school do you go to?" And the question went on for 20, 25 minutes. Um, at the end of it all, I said, "Well, what's this all about?" And they said, "You're free to go." And I said, "Well, what's this all about?" And he's like, "Do, we, do, we, do you want to discuss this further at the station?" You're, I told you, you're free to go. You can go. And uh, I proceeded to walk down to my friend's house because I didn't have any more bus spray, so I had to walk to my friend's house. How does how does this feel? I'm going to ask you about another story that recently happened, but how does this make you feel as you list? And I know there's so many stories that you could tell us. Yeah, yeah. How does this make you feel? Um, it's it's sad, um, um, frustrated, angry. Um, why does this keep on happening to me? Why me? Um, like you, like I stated before, I've had no criminal history. I have no um, run-ins with the police. Like I don't understand what singles me out compared to anybody else. When you hear people say that there isn't racism in Canada, what do you, how would you respond to that? There isn't racism in regards of point blank in your face like U.S. Um, there is racism in Canada. It's just um, it's just uh, tactical, tactical, tactfully done, right? Mm. Um, getting followed by uh, people when you go into to places to shop, um, getting pulled over as many times as I do. Um, that's just all based on just of my skin color because I've been with other people of different races and that's never happened. And when you've been pulled over that many times, you wonder if there is some sort of underlying thread. Yes. Hence the reason why you feel that way. Yes. What was your reaction when you saw the video of George Floyd's death, his murder? That could have been me, um, especially in that situation where the cop pulled the gun out at me. That could have been me. I, um, I lived through that a lot. I think about that a lot. Um, just having a gun pulled out on me by somebody that's supposed to be serving and protecting our community um, just because he handcuffed and threw my, my, my longtime friend of 25 years that also has no criminal record, wonderful person, polite, well-spoken, um, and just getting out of the car just to see what was going on, um, that could have easily ended up like that situation with George, right? The ones we see in the media now are just the most recent ones. We've had hundreds and hundreds of cases of brutality and violence, sexualized violence, killings that have never been addressed. You know, you, there's more good people than bad people, and you can't. We can't go beating up the whole um, uh, police force or the whole, you know, we, we can't go doing that or, or judging them, all of them, because of, of, of a handful. But what we can do is bring it out and, and say that, you know, there's, like you said, it's now being brought out all over. It's too bad that our people had to die for it. Hmm. Uh, it's too bad uh, George had to die, Rodney had to die, Chantel had to die. But but let's hope that there's no more of them that have to die. Canada's Indigenous community has gone through much from racism, injustices, and oppression. 
Most recently, the deaths of Chantel Moore and Rodney Levi in New Brunswick after RCMP visited on wellness checks, knowing full well that there was mental illness. Well, we sat down with some Indigenous leaders to hear their experiences. So I think when we're thinking about the police, they need to take a step towards us as well to, be, to create that relationship. And I, I'm looking on Facebook and I see some really great police out there, you know, saying I love you to different ones and I'm here for you. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it needs to be, the whole police force needs to be transformed in that manner. And I know that legislations and policies in the police department change. However, what they're taught coming into the system, that doesn't change because it's passed down, right? That culture is passed down from one generation of police to the next, to the next, to the, to the next. So are they really enforcing and putting in place the new policies and legislation, or are they just teaching them the old way, right? And it's coming now into the future. We need a change. That's what's happening. People are not going to put up with it anymore, especially people of color. We're not going to, we can't, we can't. Too many lives are, ex, are at stake. Too many people are dying. Too many people are thrown in jail unjustly. So something needs to be done. Still ahead, my conversation with journalist Jackie Habib. She says mainstream media perpetuates colonialism and oppression. And The Q talks about racism in Canada. This panel has a lot to say. Stay tuned. Guinness World Record holder Nick Walenda, whose death-defying stunts include walking over Niagara Falls and traveling 1,800 feet across an active volcano, joins us to share how he faced the gripping fear that almost ended his career. I'm here with journalist and commentator Jackie Habib. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jackie. Now, you make some pretty strong statements about the media. You state that the media perpetuates colonialism and oppression. Explain that to me. In so many ways, the way that the news is reported, even if unintentional, continues to perpetuate, you know, the history of Canada, which when we look at our country's history is one of colonialism and oppression. And it's not only confined to history, but even modern day, when we look at things like systemic discrimination and how that manifests in everyday life towards racialized individuals or other minorities, media continues to um, fall within that same system. And sometimes it is unintentional by reporters and journalists, but, you, but when you look at who's reporting stories, often um, they are not you know, individuals who share similar experiences to the people who they are reporting on. And it's not really representative of um, the diversity that we see in Canada. And so in so many ways, when we look at it from, you know, the top leadership and media organizations to um, journalism students, and we look at our journalism schools, there are so many ways that, you know, we continue to perpetuate oppression through reporting. Now, can you give me examples specifically of how you think the media perpetuates oppression specifically? Absolutely. So one example is the way in which media determines how to identify certain groups. So in 
in recent months, we've seen a conversation about capitalizing the letter B for black when we're referring to black people. Um, in media, typically the letter I is also capitalized for indigenous. But for years, um, black journalists have been pushing for this actually. And so many um, media organizations that you know publish these style books in journalism have said, we will not capitalize the letter black, you know? And more recently, because of, you know, heightened social consciousness and the conversations we're having around race following um, the murder of George Floyd, you know, these are conversations that are going a little bit further than they could in the past. So I would say that when you ignore a group of people, it's a way of oppressing them. And so if there's a group of people who are saying, you know, we want to define our identity in this way, we would like you to respect our culture with capitalizing a certain letter. Um, and society and media organizations at large are pushing back on that, then that is just one of many ways that they are ignoring and silencing these voices. You also talk about diversity and making sure that there are a variety of voices delivering the news. Explain why that's important. Yes, absolutely. And so oftentimes, I mean, there's been several studies done in media that actually show people who are quoted in the media are often not the diverse voices that we see in society. And when we talk about diversity, we are not only talking about racially, although that's an important component, but we're talking about gender, we're talking about position, we're talking about so many other qualifiers. If you typically see able-bodied people on TV, think about that and think at subtly what the message is for people who are not able-bodied. Think about subtly what the message is for little girls who are watching TV and continually see men and typically white men always coming on as the expert, always sharing, you know, their voice and their thoughts about an issue because there's there's really something to be said about how it empowers certain people in society and disempowers others. Okay, thank you so much, Jackie. We're gonna hear more from Jackie uh, in a, a couple of minutes on the queue. Thank you again, Jackie. Absolutely, thank you so much, Maggie. You know, he kind of, you know, rang up the order and I said, by the way, you know, I just want you to know you were seen. And he said, I didn't realize that Jesus was about gratitude and generosity. I never knew that. And it's going to change my life. It's time for a new segment here on Context called The Q, a panel discussion with varying views on this week's topic, Facing Racism in Canada. Joining us today is Jackie Habib, Bridget Entwi, and Brian Dykma. Thanks all for joining us today. We're going to jump right in. What do you think it was about George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis that catapulted this global discussion on race? For the last few years, we've seen that the public has been more willing to embrace these um, difficult or sensitive topics, starting with the Black Lives Matter movement years ago, the Me Too movement. Now we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're talking about how coronavirus is impacting people who are particularly marginalized. And I think people are wanting to have these difficult conversations and are also, frankly, at a level where they are so frustrated by so many things that we are actually able to elevate the conversation on racial justice the way that we have. Mm, interesting. Well, what do you think uh, racism looks like here in Canada? I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, there's been a lot of focus on the U.S. Um, and of course, there's assessment there. But some people would say the racism here is not as bad as in the U.S. What are your thoughts on that? 
I would strongly debate that. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that racism in Canada uh, has three phases. So it's overt, it's covert, um, and then it's administrative or bureaucratic, right? So I think one of the biggest lies that Canadians like to tell ourselves is that we're not like the US. Like if you are indigenous in this country, that is a lie. If you're black in this country, that is a lie. You know, particularly black Nova Scotians um, who've been here for centuries, or if you're poor of any race, that's a lie, right? Like I think also fundamentally it's like, uh, very Canadians are very polite, but that doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist. Most of our racism occurs in like sort of the, the bureaucracy and the institutions that we have, right? So we know that the legal system is unfair. There's, uh, you know, black and indigenous people are disproportionately affected um, through policing, through healthcare, through all sorts of different like government administrative uh, services. And so the idea that we're telling ourselves that, oh yeah, you know, because we're not as horrible as this like terrible nation who has completely lack, uh, refused to address their original sin, that doesn't make us better. Like, like really what we should be comparing ourselves to are countries that are doing a much better job at racial re reconciliation or justice. Brian, what are your thoughts on that? I think I think Bridget alludes to something that's pretty deep. There is actually a history. It's different. Our history is different. And I think we do have to remember that we are a different country than the States, but it is here. I mean, uh, the, the Nova Scotians, I always like to point to Viola Desmond, who's just on her $10 bill. You can see her. Um, the racism that she experienced was, was all of those things that Bridget just described. I think we're still seeing it today. In fact, I think some of the programs that are being put, put forth by the government are actually paper, papering over some of those deeper questions we need to be asking about our banking structures and so on. Um, but I think it is there. I think historically it's different. I think those differences matter. But I think it means that we should really, really focus on where is it showing up, be as specific as possible, and try to address those things concretely. Okay, let's talk about yeah, some places that it's showing up. The media has played a huge role in telling this story of race, and it, we're talking about Canadian media. How do you feel they've done? Jackie, I'm specifically looking at you because you are a journalist and a commentator uh, in the midst of all of this. Yeah, so it's been interesting seeing how the media has reported about this. And I think a lot of, um, there have been a lot of conversations internally amongst journalists and in newsrooms about the reporting that oftentimes um, the public is not privy to, unfortunately. Um, it's easy to, you know, be a bystander and to read news and think that there is no bias in that reporting. I can guarantee you that there is always bias within reporting and that, you know, racism is absolutely a factor. Um, in you specifically, so many Jackie, allude to um, the gentleman that drove into uh, Rideau uh, Hall and the coverage on that by the media. Yes. So in July... Um, actually, this was a story that surprisingly did not make headlines of there was a white man who um, was heavily armed and drove his vehicle into the gates at Rudeau Hall, where Justin Trudeau was staying at the time and is the residence of the governor general. And um, I can say hands down that if this was someone who was Muslim, if this was someone who was black or brown or otherwise racialized, that would have absolutely made international headlines. This is someone who went to um, attack, to potentially kill our prime minister. And the fact that it, you know, it was not elevated as a news story in that sense. Um, you know, the, the perpetrator in this instance was depicted as someone who was a troubled soldier and, you know, someone who was being, you know, quite impacted by coronavirus and it, it led him to do this. We can just see in the way that was reported um, that there is absolutely a bias and an element of 
I think right. the bigger issue here, I think the bigger issue is that we as Canadians are focusing so much on the United States that we make ourselves feel better. I think the the reality is that our media is obsessed with America and obsessed with the American stories, and I think has failed to do a good job of finding the places where uh, racism is present in Canada, the unique circumstances around that and discussing those. And I think that fails our public. I think we need to focus on our country, our communities, and find out where we're failing to hold people uh, to standards where they're considered equal in the eyes of God. And, and I think that's a failure of Canadian media, media writ large. Okay, well, thank you so much again, Bridget, Brian, and Jackie. Well, that's a wrap on our premiere show. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week with a special on racism in sport. I'm Maggie John. For all of us here, thanks for watching.